Hi, I'm Scott. And I'm Seth. And this is Track Walking. This week we are going to essentially deal with some real life examples and talk about uh, the best laid plans and what can happen to those. Yeah, we all think we, everybody who goes racing, because we all talk about, yeah, like, like I know what's going to happen. You know, I, I'm racing my car. I know that eventually something might happen. I might uh, tap somebody or hit a wall or blow a motor, something. But uh, emotionally, when it actually does happen, it feels a lot different than you thought. Every boat, I think everybody goes to the track with hopes and expectations. Um, you know, we're going to go, we're going to work on car setup, we're going to uh, do the best we can, you know, something like that. But it's never the bad stuff, the negative, hard stuff is never... Like, we're going to go to the track, and we're going to miss two sessions because the transmission <laughs> blew up. And then we're going to fix it. And then we're going to go back, and then we're going to have forgotten this other part, which is going to make us miss the rest of that set. Like, nobody goes with that in mind. No. But that's what happens. I'll start by doing my, my really quick thing. Um, we, were, we had an endurance uh, race last week on Saturday. And this year, I'm responsible for prepping two motorcycles. Um, in the last event, we crashed our Grom and crashed out an hour into it because we broke a footpeg mount. Got everything fixed. Everything was good. We got uh, 35 minutes into this weekend's event, and the the kid's bike seized the motor. 35 minutes into it. Yeah. And... Um, the the girl who was riding did like a fantastic heroic job of staying on the bike as the the motor seized and pulled in the clutch and saved it and then we figured out it was dead and the the organizers are kind of awesome in the fact that um if you ask them you can actually swap bikes you go back to a count of zero laps so mm. you essentially start the event over partway into the event so the kids basically lost 45 minutes of of scorable laps um, and were able to swap bikes into the same class and did it. But emotionally, I was dealing with the fact that that I'm trying to concentrate as someone who's racing on a different team. At the same time, I'm trying to maintain a motorcycle for the team that the kids are racing on. And that motorcycle died. And yeah. By far the most expensive part of those motorcycles is the engine. As a matter of fact, when the engine dies, that's sort of like the end of the motorcycle. And like, you, we kind of all know that race bikes are going to blow up. That's why they exist, especially race bikes that are have built motors and go fast. But dude, when you look at a bike and you can't kick the motor over because the motor's just locked solid and you know that the only solution is going to be to throw money at this and you just like totally hosed a race and like i was not emotionally ready to roll the bike on a trailer and clear my mind and continue to go racing um it was it was hard it was really really hard to has, has to that do particular that. issue like uh actual motor going has that something has that been something that you've had to deal with before We've never we've never lost a motor 
um, racing motorcycles before. Um, we generally run the kind of motors that run kind of indefinitely. Um, just air-cooled four-strokes. This particular motor was built, so from the factory, Kawasaki built it to have about eight horsepower, and this was built up to have about 16 horsepower. So that would That's be smart. like, that would be like, you know, a 200-something horsepower NA Miata. And you you do that, and you sort of accept the fact that, cool, this is definitely going to blow up someday. Like, you can't run that motor indefinitely like you can run a stock Miata motor. Um, and we we accepted that, but like I thought I accepted that until it blew up in the middle of a race. And then I could like I was I took the bike about halfway apart in the paddock rather than just rolling it on the trailer and and walking away because like I couldn't not know what failed. Well, and that was and that was going to be my next question. So you know, so the bike fails on track, it comes back in and you kind of deal with the whole thing about getting somebody else out. And then do you just kind of go straight to work? Like I need to figure this out. Do you just kind of fall into a bit of a immediate depression? Like what, walk me through like the actual uh, emotional journey that you take here. Definitely. Definitely, I was immediately like, you could ask the guys on my team, I was immediately like the saddest sad face ever. Um, and just, you know, rolled the bike back toward the trailer and got my tool bag and just, I needed some sort of closure, which, which was the wrong thing to do. Um, in that moment, like, like stepping back now, in that moment, what I needed to do was roll the bike on the trailer uh, count to 10 and focus at the task at hand, which was continuing to race my own team and continuing to help the kids race because it's the the moment that bike seized and we rolled it off track, it it's it ceased becoming relevant to the weekend, right? It was a broken motorcycle and broken motorcycles are not relevant to the weekend. So that's um, so that sounds like the very head oriented Seth, like knowing knowing step one, step two, like this is this is what I need to do. This is how I I should like partition this emotion and this reaction. So why And I utterly failed you, at it. Yeah, why I've, didn't you do that? <laughs> I I've never had to like like we said, like I think I think I'm capable of that. But the first time I've had to deal with it, I dealt with it poorly. Like genuinely poorly. Um, in, in general, I don't deal with mechanical failures that I think might be my fault. I don't deal with well anyway. Um, it's like something got hurt and I should be responsible for it getting hurt and I need to be responsible for it getting better. And, and I put a whole bunch of of physical human emotions on this process and none of that's constructive in the moment. Um, and I, I know that intellectually, but the intellectual side of me and the emotional side of me are battle with each other constantly, um, especially in those moments. Well, and we've and we've talked before. As much as we all would like to think that we are intellectual creatures and that we, you know, you know, with enough mind and will that we can do anything. And while that may be true, it's it's in these traumatic um altering moments like a bike seizing for the first time that 
um, that we're actually emotional, that the overriding thing what overrides our entire mental process sometimes is the emotion of a thing. So in this in this moment, it sounds like you know you you were emotionally invested in this bike needs to run because a running bike is part of this is me saying this of who you are. That's like this bike running well means something about me and the fact that it isn't right now needs to be addressed right now. So it's yeah, I, I'm it, almost seeing like some of yourself in this bike. Yeah, in in having it not run a bike that I was supposed to prepare for these kids to to ride, having it not run felt very much like a personal failure in the moment. I had failed these kids. I had failed the team. Um, there's, I mean, the the prognosis of it is that the the big end rod bearing failed. That's something that happens with these, probably because the kids over rev the ever living snot out of it because they have zero mechanical empathy because they're teenagers, who you know teenagers barely have any empathy for living things. They have no empathy for machines. Sure. And and but still, I was supposed to provide them with a race bike, and when I could no longer do that in that moment. Uh, it, I felt like I failed them, even though, like I say, intellectually, that's, that's not the case. I did provide them with a race bike and it just broke, but. So is that where, and you've talked in the past, how, how you kind of see yourself as not the fast driver, but in somebody who can prepare these bikes. So it's, it almost sounds like your identity, especially in this team is preparing and providing working running reliable bikes and that this somehow damaged that for you yeah i want to make sure everybody can race between the two teams we've got we've had nine people race between those two teams this year and my main job is not the the guy who can do fast lap times my main job is to make sure that eight other people can go racing and uh, I don't like failing at that at all. So what's, so there's like one extra step that I feel like, so you said that your job is providing the bike so that other people can go racing so that what, what's that? There's like that last So that they can have fun. Like, like fun. Th- this okay. has to be fun, right? And, and it, if if there's no bike there's no fun like the the event previous when the when the ground was crashed and and we were out of the event because we didn't have a spare for it like watching the the remainder of a race as a team that is not participating is way less fun than than actually participating i mean i didn't i didn't sure. turn any laps in that race um only two of the the four members that were there turned laps in that race um and you know, one of our one of the guys, uh, the friend, my my karting friend, came out and got all ready and did all this stuff. And he rode the bike for fifteen minutes in practice, and then waited, and then the bike crashed, and then he went home. And that sucks. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that story more than a few times with endurance teams. Yeah. No, and I I felt uh, I I felt for a lot of those those stories I've read those lemon stories I've read, and that's one of the things that's kept me from getting 
into Lemons and Champ with with some teams that I've been invited to participate with is I look at their record and they're like, no, we had a great time. We did like uh, 42 laps and we spent the whole rest of the time fixing the car. And, yeah. and I understand that you don't have to be like a competitive team to have fun in that environment, but dragging your semi-broken junk to a parking lot to fix it while other people racing go other people go racing is not really my idea of 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 a great weekend necessarily yeah most of the reason why i hear people who get into endurance is just seat time i mean you just get right. all the seat time and if you're not getting all the seat time why are you doing it <laughs> <laughs> yeah that yeah so so that was my other, thing. Other I, than I think, other than I think, the real pain, especially of endurance racing, is like you you do it for the hardships. Like I think that's that's part of it. Like you want to overcome the hardships, right. but you do it because you like to overcome adversity and you like to try to work through these specific problems that come up and come together as a team. Like have that story at the end. But it's like right. if you don't. That no, and, and I mean the the Grom race this time, we definitely had that. So the bike bike worked flawlessly essentially, but we had um, we had about an hour of rain during the race. Um, light rain, not enough rain to put rain tires on, so we're running around in slicks in the damp. And um, the people before me went out and did fine. I went out and on the fourth lap fell over. My fourth lap out just went through part of the track that I know was slippery, um, was kind of working my way up speed-wise, thought I had a handle of what's going on, tipped the bike over, just bloop, fell over. Didn't break anything, but the whole front end of the bike was twisted, like noticeably crooked. But you don't, not so much that you couldn't ride it, or at least I couldn't ride it. So I, I ran the rest of my half an hour feeling, you know, just trying to go faster and then handed the bike off to the next guy and went, oh yeah, by the way, the handlebars are absolutely 100% crooked. We'll fix them tomorrow. And he looked down at the bike and went, all right, hopped on and, and rode away and, and uh, rode till he got to the checkers. And it it worked fine, but you know that's his story of the event was his, his ride on that bike was a bike that had handlebars that were about 15 degrees off center. So... And he did yep. a great job riding. He's like, no, you got used to it after about eight or ten laps. It's amazing what you can get used to after a while. Yeah. And it would be like getting in a car. I don't even know if it's really like getting in a car and having the steering wheel crooked, but same kind of same kind of thing, right? Like it would really bother you for the first little bit, and then you're just like, all right, it is what it is. Time to yeah. go racing. Well, and that's... So I worked in a hospital for a while as part of my uh, master's training. And one of the things I, I worked in the trauma unit, which deals specifically with people who are high level enough that they need all the attention right now. And my basic role in there was to interface with the family or friends who had come in um, of the patient and interface with them and the surgeons to 
get the doctors as much information as they could as soon as possible while reassuring and keeping the family and loved ones calm and as informed as I can. And the one thing about um, the trauma or the hardship or like a sudden unexpected negative event is that you can't plan for it. And if you spent your time trying to forecast and plan every little thing that would go wrong, you would never ever leave your house. You'd probably like live in an underground bunker. And even then you would be figuring out the different ways you could stub your toe or cut yourself shaving or something. Like there's there's just too many things that can go wrong. So by and large, we just ignore the things that we don't anticipate because it's so much brain and so much emotional effort that we, we just can't walk around constantly wondering what bad is going to happen. So when something bad does happen unexpectedly, it is a rupture in what we have the story that we've decided to tell ourselves that we go about our day we wake up we make lunch plans we decide we're going to do this for dinner we do some work we come home we want to sit on the couch just every day we have all these routines that we're used to but when something different happens all of a sudden it reminds us painfully so that everything could crumble around us at any given moment and it's scary it's uncomfortable and it's hard to move on after something like that happens now it could be something small it could be something really like life-shatteringly altering but on some level everything that happens to us in this kind of accident trauma unexpected pain reminds us of the unexplainable nature of everything that happens around us and what we live in so and race cars are no different to some degree we're never prepared for trauma which is the whole definition of what's going on with that like that's what makes it traumatic yes is that exactly. we're is that we're not prepared for it right and if we believe that we are prepared like you mentioned earlier uh you're not prepared <laughs> <laughs> you, th you think you are and you're just not you know all all racers tell themselves this is racing i always hear that this is racing things happen and it's true but it's so that that phrase is so trivial and so trite that it doesn't really capture what happens when racing does happen when your bike seizes i mean it's like all of a sudden it's like yeah we knew this could happen but it happened right today while this girl was on the bike which caused us to have to do this which threw me in a bit of a 
tailspin for a little while because I mean it's you, you can't map that out and if you spend your right. time mapping it out you that's literally a disorder that is hard to come back from yeah I think I can be better though like like anything else you know we we I don't want to say we adapt to trauma but we the first time we experience anything in life we're not as good at it as we want to be we've discussed this before um, emotionally we've talked about you know dealing with when our plan goes all the pot when we're on track like I'm gonna do this I'm gonna start a race like this and then it falls apart and in the first few times we do that like we're bad at dealing with that and the more it happens the better we are and I do think next time I can be emotionally better dealing with this because again it's like yeah this is racing this is going to happen again I'm going to blow up another motorcycle if I race long enough I'm definitely going to blow up another motorcycle I know another motorcycle is going to crash and we're going to need to you know to fix it in the moment um, and yeah I don't know like like there's there's got to be a scale thing like I think I could deal with a bike falls over and breaks off levers we bring the bike in we put new levers on we send the bike back out I'm fine with that um, a bike breaking I think I'll be better the next time since I've the last two races in a row we've we've had bikes break in such a way that they're out of the race and I think well a I want to be better so I don't have that happen again but but B I, I think we can I can start to emotionally deal with that now I've had I have some experience with that um, but I've also had you know I, I broke my collarbone but I've had other people hurt themselves and I don't deal well with people hurting themselves um, and it happens occasionally and I deal better with me being hurt than I deal with other people being hurt. Um, you're well, and you're you're a very nurturing person, as we talked about before the podcast. You you care yeah, deeply about people. That's a whole nother show. We'll have to do a whole nother show on on my emotional faults with nurturing, because yeah, that's the thing I could talk about for an hour. But um, I don't know if I'll ever get used to that. Um, just seeing. I got to watch a little part of a live stream from uh, from uh, the National Corvette Museum last weekend. Never heard and, of her. Yeah, and uh, until I knew that things were okay, I wasn't okay. And I don't yeah. know if I'll ever. I don't know if I'll ever not be like that. I don't know if I ever want to not be like that. Well, and something I always find interesting is that we can learn an awful lot by the people who are around us. We can learn mechanical tips and tricks um, to pull out in times of uncertainty and surprise. But how we deal with them um, emotionally really reveals who we are. <laughs> yeah, we, you know, you can, you can learn all these tricks. Okay. When this type of problems happens, we can do this, and you can you can do it then, the first time it happens because you learn from somebody else. But how you manage that, how you feel 
reveals really the deepest nature of who we are. And yeah, I, uh, I was involved in a four car incident at the National Corvette Museum uh, just over a week ago. And um, it could have been way worse which creeps me out to be honest (laughs) because it wasn't great yeah um i will i will spare well well we're going to circle back to this after probably a month uh until i can actually get back to wheel to wheel racing and kind of see how this all plays out for me but um i'll kind of spare the incident report and what happened um but um my neck hurt for a good week or so um turns out i was having neck problems beforehand and this just really exacerbated those which brings into it for me the the human aspect of wheel-to-wheel racing is you can you can be willing to bend a car or to trade paint and something like that but you know if it goes much farther than that there are your friends in those other cars and we've got great safety um but people can still get hurt there's a lot of kinetic energy slapping around out there as it turns out and when we have these big old helmets attached to our heads they uh (laughs) they literally go wherever they want to and uh, you know we all wear Hans devices and GLTC. I'm 99% sure we all do. And um, it's a good thing that we do because it could have been a lot worse. Is this the whole? Uh, this brings just like completely technical question here. Nope. So my my Miata friends say one of the downsides of a Miata is that it's difficult if not impossible to run a containment seat in a Miata because as soon as you put those wings next to your head you block the ability to get out of the car if the door is damaged like you can't crawl through the window uh that's a serious problem yeah right Uh, the, the only way you can do it is that if you take the quarter window out and okay for those of you who don't know Miata door um geometry uh, that quarter window's four or five inches <laughs> wide. I mean, we're that's that's how much we're talking about because helmets right. are big, and when all of a sudden you have a small area and a third to a half of it is taken up by the wing of your halo seat, it's it makes it very difficult, uh, which is a huge downside. A halo seat absolutely would have probably saved my neck a good bit of. Um, pain because the my initial hit, uh, my help my head went sideways. Right now, the Hans device I have, uh, which is the next gen, has a bit of built-in um, side impact protection, and that it still does grab the helmet, but not nearly as much as in a you know a normal front collision, which I experienced about a second and a half <laughs> later when I hit the tires. Um, yeah, and it was, 
interesting and it's always one of those things you know we always say yeah it could happen you know we drive our car to the track if it happens yeah i don't know you know i i guess we'll figure it out and we got to figure it out do you think you dealt well with it intellectually emotionally um emotionally i think it's still playing out for me um yeah i I, I I tend towards doom and gloom. That's kind of my personality. Um, but I was pleasantly surprised to, again, kind of meet myself in the minutes afterwards. Um, while I was sitting in the car, you know, I was looking around, trying to figure out who else was involved, seeing if they were moving. Um, talked to Becky, uh, who is on, I was on the radio with, and, you know, she told me that she's very glad that we had the radio because, you know, if all of a sudden, oh, Robertson's in the tire well, and she doesn't get to hear from me for 10 minutes. Yeah. That wouldn't be great. Um, so, you know, took the quick ambulance ride back and, uh, got dropped off with Becky and, um, we, I just started walking to grid where all the cars got red flagged. And, um, the reason why is because I was in charge of two GLTC rookies that year or that weekend rather. And I wanted them to know first that I was okay and to help them get their minds refocused and getting back to racing. And... I was quite pleasantly, I was quite pleasantly surprised with that being my initial reaction and decision to go do, um, because I could easily have seen myself like just wanting to go crawl in a hole and just like <laughs> sleep. Honestly, sleep think, is a huge cope me coping mechanism for me. So you think it helped that you had a job, like? even if it's one that you assign to yourself in that moment? I think it helped that I had people that I felt emotionally responsible for. Okay. Not not in making sure that they were emotionally okay, but people that I wanted to be sure that they were um, not necessarily having a good time, but that they were able to do well. And as much as I could take credit for that. So I went up to both drivers and I just let them know that I was fine. And that these things, like, um, while they may happen, like, they creep into your, they keep creep into your brain. And just to be as much as possible aware of where their focus is. And if they lose focus, just be aware of it, bring it back. Um, and they both did great the rest of that weekend good yeah so the after that you uh <laughs> you're the got, you're got the, tougher after that yeah you're the famous guy who drives his car his race car to the track yeah not this time well no you drove it to the track yeah not back um, not back yeah I mean that's yeah, we um yeah. The 
that the, the biggest thing I can say is like afterwards, you know, after we talked with Jabay and gave our initial incident report, talked to a few other drivers, stopped by, talked to Tamo, because um, I, I see him as one of my racing gurus, and um, talked to a few other people. We um, This was like right around lunchtime. We uh, walked back to Paddock and I instantly started like in my mind running through all the scenarios like if the frame like if the car is wrecked like I can't race for the rest of the year I just don't have right. the money or the time to be able to build a race car um but if it's not yeah. like okay what is damage I'm pretty sure this and this or like I started to make a parts list in my head immediately but while I was probably still kind of an emotional mental shock like it just wasn't working well and walking back to our paddock spot, like I just started crying, um, mainly because like of the situation. But it's like, what what am I going to tell my son? You know, because I've got to right. tell him something at some point. Yeah, and um, just wanting to like protect him from that, uh, like scary, but very real possibility of his dad getting hurt for this stupid sport that we do um and so you know in those moments i i really i have a hard time doing it but i do intellectually realize that like you've got to take care of like your basic needs um so becky went and got us food um because it was lunchtime and like i just i don't think as well i'm more erratic and when i am hungry especially after something like that and I just get very emotionally drained and tired and um yeah so we kind of took care of that and we are uh I could go through the list of people who we are very grateful to have in our lives we we had a bunch of great friends just start to basically come up with a plan for us um I just didn't have the mental capabilities after that to like, cause we'd never had to deal with it before. Right. And there's always one of those things. Well, it's like, if it happens, like we don't push the car on the trailer. Like we have to come up with a plan because we do not have one. <laughs> so I'm, we are very, very, very grateful for all the friends who have volunteered time and, efforts and parts and all that stuff um up till this point and we've got more friends who are hopefully going to be um be helping us out here in the next few days which <laughs> the next few days are going to be interesting so we'll see yeah because the 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 complicating side of this is that uh from when we are recording you've got we could measure in if, hours if this wasn't complicated enough <laughs> Right, we could measure certainly in any very, very low single digits of days um, when you need to be in South Bend to start uh, this year's One Lap of America, which is important for a whole bunch of reasons. Yeah. But um, after not after last year not happening and all of that, the the idea that that you would not go this year like that would I can't even mentally 
think of that? So you, you've, you've told me you're going to be there. We will be there. Um, and Becky and I both pretty early on said that we were going to be there. Um, we, we have uh, Becky's car Mooncake, which is a Mazda 2 that we were planning on taking for uh, the one lap in 2022. Uh, with hopefully a small fleet of B-Spec cars to go slow and have fun with. Um, but we knew that kind of not doing the one lap wasn't something that we wanted to do. But this was also going to be the retirement year of the Miata from the one lap. So if it doesn't make it this year, like it's never going to see a one lap again. Right. And... I mean, the desire is very strong to have it go. And so essentially we are recording this on Monday, the 26th. Um, the body shop, uh, Al's Auto Body Experts, headed by Rich Fortners, or the Fortner family really. Uh, they've been fantastic and are really busting their butts to help. Uh, they're, they're taking on the bulk of the work and um, we believe we will have the car back at my house late Thursday night. And we have less than 10 hours at that point to get the car off the trailer, inspect it, evaluate it, and work on it and decide if we can trust it for eight days and 3,500 miles. And if we can, then Friday morning, we drive south to Gingerman, where we will put it on some alignment pads and have it corner balanced and aligned, and then continue south to South Bend. Or we decide that it's just, it doesn't, something's not going to work out. And we take the Mazda 2 and um, have fun with air conditioning and cruise control. Yeah, I, I think in your situation, I would uh, basically abandon, be emotionally abandoning sleep. And now that I've talked to you about this, pretty sure I'm myself going to be emotionally abandoning sleep for you as <laughs> as I yeah. think, you know, every night when I go to sleep over these next like four days, yeah, it's, I'm gonna. I mean, the whole MO of the one lap is you don't get much sleep. So what right. you really try to do is you try to front load as much as possible. Um, which we have the last two times we've done the one lap, and that's um, just not going to happen this time around, which um, I'm a little worried about just because when I don't get sleep, I get a little or ornery. Um, but, yeah, Thursday night is going to be a long one. Uh, one of my friends, um, Ben Mitchell, who has Venema Service, who uh, does all, all of our tire changes, fellow GLTC racer, um, he's agreed to meet Becky at the shop at 11 or 12 at night and do our tire change. 
and um, I'm going to literally nut and bolt the entire suspension of the car, um, inspect everything, um, and see if see if it's something we can do. We've gotten as many of the pieces and plates as we can, so uh, we will see. I'm trying. I'm trying out of my head. I I'm great at worrying. If I'm good at anything, you, you you're amazing at worrying. Thank like, you. You're really good at it. Um, and like, I'm I can get stressed way in advance. Like if I'm not actually <laughs> doing something, I can find something to do in worrying and stressing right. and having anxiety over things. Um, and I'm really trying not to think about Thursday night and the things that could come up because again I can't even list out like the number of things that could go wrong Thursday between yeah. sometime between 10 p.m. Thursday night and 9 a.m. um no 8:30 a.m. Friday morning right no idea but a lot of bolts are getting touched and um probably going to be quite a few rivets and the cars it if if the miata makes it which it will be an absolutely last minute decision one way or another um it's not going to be pretty um but it will be to the point where we think it is drivable and reliable enough to make the trip so in past shows you have made, and that's a the intellectual side of me that just explained all that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I no, trust me. I, 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 th- I think the the emotional Scott is just screaming in in his own head. Um, but past shows, you have you have made a very a very well thought out, very well calculated, very Scott argument that one must love the struggle, and. And <laughs> that's been that's been your your stance for uh, basically as long as we've been doing the show now. But uh, how's that going? In this moment, <laughs> uh, I'm not liking this very much, uh, and I definitely have feelings about it. But. We're planning on doing the one lap regardless. Right. We're planning on doing Blackhawk two weeks after the one lap's done. And we're planning on Gingerman two weeks after Blackhawk. So it's one of those things that like, I don't like this, but I have to like it enough that we're planning on putting ourselves in the situation where we will have to do this again and again and again. And there's something Sisyphean, Sisyphus, Sisyphean, Sisyphean. There it is. I was putting an extra S in there. Um, Yeah. About loving the struggle that you hate it every time you walk up, but once you're at the top or when, you know, you're, walking back down unloaded that it all seems okay. <laughs> or I'm told when, you know, after women have 
uh, give birth that they have that hormone that's released that literally helps them forget the trauma of childbirth <laughs> yeah I, I, I think my wife would agree with that I mean she had she gave birth four times willingly so yeah it's that's insane. crazy to me and yeah I guess we did just <laughs> draw a line between race cars and pregnancy from two white dudes so apologies well, yeah, to all but, the, uh, but there's I don't want to say there's parallels to be drawn but there is going into something knowing that that trauma and joy are linked with each other is I don't know it, it's a tough thing to deal with because you could I mean you could have hit the wall and gotten out of the car as soon as everything calmed down and it's safe to get out of the car and looked at things and gone alright I'll be back to racing by I don't know July or something sure and just push the car like like what I should have done with the motorcycle which is push it on the you know in, in my case push it on the trail but push it off to the side and worry about the things you could worry about and then yeah like we get home and we'll worry about this in a time when I can be rational and I can do these things and in accept the fact that you know that the things are just it's too much we're not going to make one lap um, we'll do one lap in something like you could you could have made a really calm collected decision and not be <laughs> not be making yourself sleepless right now um, like a different Scott in a different universe we have diverging timelines here yeah, for where sure. where other Scott went cool we're just going to put it in the garage and we're going to prep for one lap in the two and then uh, when we get back from one lap we'll sit down and worry about this but that's current Scott is not that guy no and and this is where the intertwined nature of society comes in for me boy we're just all over the place tonight like we're just pulling in things from all over the anyway oh, um, I knew I knew we were gonna be I love this but the Scott alone yeah absolutely I think that would have happened Scott surrounded by good people who have the emotional distance from the situation to be able to help think things through, the experience and skills to be able to help in very real and concrete ways, um, have enabled me, this Scott, to make the decisions that I have. I don't do body work. Um, I have a job that I need to go to. And so, yeah, the car just solely with us would have been pushed, kind of crab walked back into the garage, pouted, and would have prepped Mooncake, the Mazda 2. Um, but I am better. I am smarter, stronger, more compassionate, wiser with people around me. And yeah, I'm just, I'm gr grateful for that. Do you, do you feel like you owe it to the people that are helping you? Is it, is it a sense of... 
No. Is it that sort of thing, or is it more like when you and I hate I don't like to relate this back to parenting, but I always say like I'm I I become a better person around my children because if I showed my children you know who I was when I was 22 years old, that would be terrible. And sure. so I need to be like I need to be the respon like the most responsible best version of me around my children and and I guess it's like that whenever I'm around you know when I instruct it's the same way people say like instructor you is different and I'm like no instructor me is like really emotionally mature and supportive of people and you know doesn't drop f-bombs and right. and those sorts of things and so so where are you coming from we're gonna make this show super long here talking about this but but where are you coming from when you you have all these people helping you and people helping you make you a better you um i don't i don't think i owe it to anybody and that's part of the it's part of my personality um for better or worse at times um but it's nice to have the people around you who are willing and able to help I don't want to say despite themselves, but just with the goal of helping you. They're not trying to earn credits. They're not trying to get a leg up because, hey, I helped you, so now you can help me. Um, but that it's just, I'm going to do this, and this is what I'm able to do, or I'm not able to do, and um, just because it's what they do. Um, I mean, we had Mike take our trailer behind his Honda Fit, and he drove it to our house from Bowling Green to Holland, Michigan, and he lived in Chicago. That's we a had, little out of the way. We had Niche and James clear space out of their Fit for Becky and I and some of our essentials to ride back up to Chicago with. And then Adam um, needed to have a car go to Michigan anyway, so we hopped in his Civic that he was selling, drove it back to Michigan. The car was <laughs> pushed onto Adam's trailer, and he delivered it the next day to the Fortners and they got immediately to looking it over, ordering parts. I ordered a bunch of parts. We've been coordinating. I just had Nate uh, drop off four alignment bolts that I had down to them because I was about to make a round trip drive last night just to drop them off so they could have them today and he was going through there any kind of anyway. And he, uh, it's just people just people being helpful with no ulterior motives just because that's what you do for people. Yeah. So it sounds like people let you be a better version of yourself rather than force you to be a better version of yourself. I wouldn't even say it goes that far with other people's. They're just 
when people around you are the best versions of themselves, it just gives you so much more freedom and room to do the same. All right. I really think when people take care of themselves and do what they believe is good and healthy, that it floats all boats higher. It makes everybody around them better. And I think this is a great example of it. And I, we, we can't be more appreciative. I mean, I, Becky and I were talking the other day, like I just, like my instinct is to like want to repay people somehow. And it's like, I don't think we can. No. And that's like, that's hard. That's just like, I, I'm just so grateful for them. Yeah, this is this is an episode. Like, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure I want to go much farther. To be honest, <laughs> it's kind of a good place to. Yeah, good place to wrap. I, I think that's a. I think that's a good place to uh, to call this one a night and uh, have. I don't know. I want to see the. I want to see the comment section on uh, on one of our social media things from this, and uh, because. I don't know how you could get more support, but I feel like there's a billion people that that uh, that do want to tell you. I mean, there's a bunch of people like me that that knew I knew in the moment you were getting the support you needed. And other than you know, in person, I would have just given you a hug and walked away. You know, not you know, knowing that that physically you everything was taken care of, and that. I was trying to figure out a way to do that online at the time and there wasn't really a good way to do that. But Yeah, and I can't naming people I don't think is always the the best way to like thank them. I, there were just so many people that came up to me and just said, I'm sorry if there's anything, let me know. And to be honest, like a lot of names and faces like kind of blurred together because it was Yeah. Just crazy. But I got so many hugs. And, you know, we're glad you're okays and stuff like that. And we'll see. Um, you know, by this time we'll be on the one lap in some fashion. And um, I guess we'll, we'll know how that part of the story uh, continues on. Yeah. So uh, when this airs, this should air during one lap, right? During the... Yep, yeah, the I'll initial get it. part of one lap. Yeah, I'll get it prepped um, and set to go for yeah Monday. So that means we will have done the wet skid pad and autocross uh, on Saturday. We then drove to Texas and did two events around Eagles Canyon. And then we will have driven to, what's after that, NOLA. No, no, I'm sorry, Memphis was before that. Memphis is Sunday. Okay. So we will have driven the two road course events at Memphis and the two drag events. And then Monday we drive to Texas and do two events at Eagles Canyon. Cool. 
That's nowhere near me. Otherwise, I would come visit. It's yeah. still like four and a half hours from my house. Otherwise. In Texas, it's like four and a half hours. You're four and a half hours from everything. Yeah, it's... it's yeah, I, I want to go. It's not going to happen. Um, un, unless, you know, you need some help, in which case, you know, yeah. draw me a line. I'll be there. It's always a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> so. All right. Uh, we have made a podcast. It's been it's been big and deep and exhausting. It has been. I'm I'm emotionally drained. Um, Me too. All right. Social media stuff at Trackwalking Podcast. This is like, I don't have to think about this part. It's kind of nice. Um, at Trackwalking Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Trackwalking Chats is our chat group on Facebook. Um, we are part of the Track Tuned Brothers and Sisters of Podcasts. And we've got some good stuff planned coming up. And if you're you're interested, follow along the one lap. You can follow it at uh, Robertson Racing Miata on Facebook or Robertson Racing Miata. No, I'm sorry, just Robertson Racing on Instagram or anywhere where you can find the Tire Rack One Lap of America. We'll be uh, we'll be doing the thing, one way or another. So hopefully, hopefully it's in a buzzy Honda powered Miata, and if not, um, we're gonna be a lot more comfortable in Mooncake the Mazda too. All right, Scott. All right. Well, for the two of us here, I'm Scott, and I'm Seth, and this is Tribe Walking. Thanks a lot, everybody. See you next week.